Well, good morning. Great to see you all this morning. We are especially thankful to have our scouts, scouts and scout families here. And so we offer you a spe- an especially warm welcome. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there is one provided for you in the back of the pew right there in front of you. And you'll find this on page 771 or 810 of that Bible, depending on which printing of that that you have. But we're continuing our study uh, through the book of Acts in a series that I've called Beyond. So we're aiming to get equipped to be a missional church that uh, lives beyond Sunday, beyond the walls, and beyond the borders. And we read in the opening verses of chapter 1, that uh, Jesus appeared to and interacted with his disciples over a period of 40 days. And one of the notable things that he told them in the course of that 40-day period was, do not part Jerusalem, but remain there and wait for the promise of the Father. And he said uh, that, would, that promise was that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so we just said that that is uh, the, kind of the outline of the book of Acts. The, the, the book really unfolds that way. We see the the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth as we walk through the book. And we also said that's sort of the thesis statement, if you will, of the book of Acts. That's what it's about in a nutshell, receiving power and being witnesses. The, the book of Acts is a story about the church being powerful witnesses in the first century. And both the power and witness begin immediately as chapter 2 unfolds. And so it's largely for this reason, because they were told to wait in Jerusalem, and then uh, immediately in chapter 2, they found out what they were waiting for. It's largely for that reason I've titled this message, Now for the Moment You've All Been Waiting For. Um, of course, there's, we could say there's sort of a secondary meaning to that because, you know, in, uh, among spirit-filled people, when, when, you, when you approach Acts chapter 2, people just start salivating, you know, when you get to that passage and you announce you're going to do a, a sermon series on the book of Acts and some folks just can't wait to get there. So anyway, uh, now for the moment we've all been waiting for, let's look together now at Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13, and I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we are thankful to be invited as your people to gather in your presence. It is always a high privilege for us, a joy to us. And while you are the one to be exalted in our time of worship, we are always most blessed by it. So we thank you, Lord, for that. And you know that anytime we come to a passage of the scriptures, we do so believing that it is your word and that when your word is preached, your voice is heard. And there is so much that could be said about any passage, so much we could say, particularly about this one, and so little time to do it. So Lord, we're just going to ask that you would select for us the words spoken and how they are received and understood. Would you minister the truth to each of us according to our need as you understand it? And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, some of the sharpest divisions in the evangelical Christian church come from very different perspectives on how Acts chapter 2 is to be understood and how it's to be applied to the church today. And I will promise you, I did not choose Scout Sunday on purpose <laughs> to preach one of the most controversial, debatable passages in the New Testament. It just outlined that way. But, um, but in any case, there, there, are, you know, there are other debatable topics. As a matter of fact, I believe it's next week's sermon that'll touch on the subject of infant baptism. So just come on back for that one too. But, <laughs> but, but the work of the Holy Spirit and the, the nature and operation um, of spiritual gifts are a big source of disagreement. And so um, I really want to just acknowledge that up front because we're not really going to have time to treat all of this as thoroughly as we might in a more in-depth study. And so, uh, again, I'm, I'm just stating that because this might feel a bit like I just came and rang your doorbell in the middle of the night and then ran away. And, you know, you come to the door all disheveled and disoriented or whatever, and nobody's even there. We're going to, uh, we'll, we'll treat it as well as we can in the time we have together um, but we're, we're also going to bear in mind the fact that we're going through the study in Acts in a series called Beyond. That, that is, we're, we're, we're wanting to have our, um, our gaze lifted upward and outward so that we're seeing beyond Sunday, beyond the walls, and beyond the borders. 
inspired and equipped to be missional. That's sort of our goal through all of this. And so the big idea we want to take from this passage this morning is that God includes the church in an already unfolding plan, and he gives the church the power to carry out that plan. Okay, that's the big idea. That really is, um, I would say, why this passage is written in the Bible here is to, is to make this point that God includes the church in an already unfolding plan and gives us the power to carry out that plan. So let's look first uh, at the fact that God dispenses power to the church. And I want to sort of walk through this and pay attention to just what happened here because it's really a phenomenal event in history, right? It's just remarkable there as you just read it right on the surface. But we just want to pay attention to what happened so we can determine how that's relevant to the 21st century church. And so as we look at this dispensing of power, let's notice four things about it. The sound, the sight, the spirit, and then the significance. And first, the sound. Verse 2 says, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind from heaven, and it filled the house where they were, filled the whole house. So notice it, it doesn't say that there was actual wind blowing things about, although there, there may have been, but there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Um, and then it says in verse 6, it mentions a sound again. Look there, it says that at this sound, the multitude came together. So some combination of the sound of this mighty rushing wind, what one translation um, calls a violent, a sound like a violent wind, some combination of that sound and the sound of around 120 people praising God in unison uh, draws a huge crowd. Because we, we go on to learn at the end of chapter 2 that around 3,000 people were added to the church that day. You remember reading that? Or 3,000 converts. As Peter follows this event, we'll get into next week with a sermon, and 3,000 people become believers. So get the picture of this then. That's quite a sound, isn't it? Because <laughs> it apparently not only filled the whole room where they were, the whole house where they were, but as that spilled out of the house, as those people are praising um, God in unison, thousands of people come from around the city of Jerusalem. That gathers quite a crowd over some period of time. In other words, it's not confined just to the room they were in, and they know that God has done something exceptional. In other words, we see right off, these people know the Holy Spirit has come. Nope. They're not wondering, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They know just from the sound, as does the whole city of Jerusalem. And then we see the sight. There's the sound. We see the sight as well. Verse 3 says, there appeared to them tongues of fire that rested on each one of them. Now, in, in describing those tongues, in some of your translations, it says, uh, things like uh, tongues distributed themselves among them or separated themselves. I would say, just parenthetically, this is an example um, of 
how it can be beneficial or helpful that when you're studying the Bible to study in multiple translations. Because if we don't read the original languages, um, multiple translations help us get at what uh, Bible scholars found in the original languages. When they render it differently in a significant way, it kind of helps us zero in on um, something worth exploring and uh, meaningful there. And here I would say um, this is especially helpful because it's much more likely that the, the tongues here were divided in the sense that they divided up among them. You, you get the point? They were distributed to each one of them, not divided tongues as if they're forked tongues. And I, I don't know if anybody would read it that way, but it's not, in other words, a picture of tongues that are divided and look like a snake or a lizard or something. They're divided up among them. The emphasis is on the fact that the Holy Spirit was given here to each individual. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know there are um, accounts where it says things like, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit came on an individual for a particular purpose. So the Holy Spirit came upon Samson and he killed 300 Philistines or something like that. Um, here, one of the distinctions that's being made is the Holy Spirit is given to all of them. And, and, and thus the distribution of the tongues among them. So we have the sight, the sound, and then the Spirit. Verse 4 says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, this filling of the Holy Spirit fulfilled what Jesus had said earlier. He, he, he said they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In Luke 24, which again, as we unfolded this study, we noted that Acts is written by Luke. Uh, so, so Acts is just book two, and the, and, and the chapter one of Acts, the begin, or the first part of chapter one of Acts, overlaps with chapter 24 of Luke. Um, so he sort of picks up where he left off. And in Luke 24, um, he says that Jesus told them, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now remember what he said in Acts chapter 1 is remain in Jerusalem for you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Luke 24, he called that being clothed with power from on high. So these phrases, even right here, uh, just in the, in the opening verses, uh, chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2, um, as well as the end of, uh, of chapter 24, Luke refers to this in, with three different phrases, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and clothed with power from on high. And from my perspective, uh, we really don't need to quibble over what language we attach to that. Now, some people prefer more to quibble about it. Um, but what we should quibble about is the fact um, that there is an experience where people who were already believers receive the Holy Spirit in some greater power or fullness, clothed with power from on high. And so our understanding of that as a church is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit in this sense or the clothing with power from on high. Ironic that power from on high just went out, isn't it? <laughs> but that, uh, that, that was not orchestrated either. It would, 
would have come on at that minute, I guess, if, uh, if we had rehearsed. But um, that, that experience, that, that is an experience distinct from conversion. That when somebody receives Jesus Christ as Lord, they receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, the very work of being born again, regeneration, is a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we believe that. But also that there are subsequent fillings even of the Holy Spirit uh, where we are in, imbued with power for ministry. Now, again, that's one of those. I'm going to ring your doorbell and then run away because we don't really have time to drill down a whole lot there, but that's our understanding of, uh, of that and our expectation of how we're going to uh, move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and also, uh, the other thing that we'll touch and then run away from is the, uh, the fact that they spoke in other tongues here. Um, now, again, if you've studied this at all, you know some of the questions or the debates um, surrounding that. But I, I will simply uh, say, if you were going to study this, 1 Corinthians 14 is certainly a passage you're going to want to visit. It, it, uh, it has something different uh, and more expansive to say about the gift of tongues as a spiritual gift and particularly its use within the body of Christ. Um, but anyway, we, we understand that, the, that uh, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift, that it is still valid for today. And um, that I, I would say to that, as I put Acts 2 together with, um, with 1 Corinthians 14, that that manifests... Sometimes, uh, where a person is speaking a known human language, although they don't know that language, and at other times manifests as just unknown heavenly language or the uh, spiritual language or the, the language of angels, if you will, and that sort of thing, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. The point there being, what, what I think happened here in Acts chapter 2 is you have people speaking... And although they don't know these languages, they are speaking languages that are understood by Parthians, Medes, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Elamites, and all over the world, as they mentioned here. Um, but again, we could, uh, we could just picnic down in those weeds for a little while, and it's a very worthy study. Uh, we just don't have time to really treat it that thoroughly today. But, but what, we, what we will say, again, is that They've received the Holy Spirit and they know it. Okay? As Martin Lloyd-Jones, a uh, pastor from um, England in the latter part of the uh, 20th century said um, that the baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens to us and we know it. <laughs> and it's demonstrable. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. And so the sight the sound, the spirit, and then let's talk about the significance because really here's where uh, the rubber meets the road. And again, I say, as I said, the big idea we want to get, part of that is that God intends for the church to move in power. That he, it, he includes, us, includes us in an already unfolding plan and that he gives us power to carry out that plan. He intends for the church to move in power. Something supernatural happens in Acts chapter 2. And it is not just chapter 2. Uh, this is the first of many 
supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit's presence. They occur throughout the book of Acts. And by my account, there are three instances of speaking in tongues like this, at least two of prophecy, multiple visions and dreams, two people raised from the dead, three angelic visions, seven healings, and numerous assorted miracles. The supernatural work of the Holy Spirit was a regular part of the church in the first century, and we should expect it to be so in the 21st century. And we do expect uh, that in our congregation. Of course, we must be totally surrendered to the fact that it is the Holy Spirit who decides how and when that will take place. As I said in my first sermon, he is not a genie in a lamp that we rub and get him to come out and do our bidding. Uh, neither, by the way, is he a butler who dresses up prim and proper in his tuxedo and just walks with his good manners to the door uh, at our bidding either. But we should expect him uh, that to happen as the Holy Spirit decides when and how. We should also expect that the work he does will be within the bounds of Scripture. May I have your attention for a few minutes here, and let's talk about this one. The same Holy Spirit who inspired every jot and tittle of the Bible is not going to inspire you to do something or say something contrary to the Bible. Okay? There's a word given to you, and it contradicts the Bible. I believe the Bible. And I ask you to go back to your prayer closet and listen again. Because he is not going to uh, move people to do something contrary to what he's already said. He's God. The Holy Spirit is a person. He cannot lie. He cannot change. And he cannot fail. And that ought to be our expectation that as he moves and as he moves us, that it will be done within the bounds of what Scripture has revealed to us. And, uh, you know, there, there are some people, it seems, who, are, uh, who get filled with the Spirit and then are in a hurry just to, just to run off into bizarro land. And, um, you know, and, and a bit like, uh, you know, I remember one of the first times I got behind the wheel of a pickup truck. Um, I was not a licensed driver. <laughs> Let me start the story that way. Uh, and this was back in an, in an era, many of you have had similar experiences. Maybe you learned to drive on a tractor or learn to drive on dirt roads in a pickup truck like I did. That was the case here. And out hunting uh, with my father and one of his friends. And he was a mechanic, this friend of my father's, who, um, unbeknownst to me, had put a real souped-up engine in his pickup truck. And I sat down, sort of, I, I, you know, I can't remember whether he was in the driver's seat and I was, you know, on, on his lap or whatever. I could reach the gas pedal, but just barely... And when I hit that gas pedal, that, I, I mean, that thing turned around in a hurry on this dirt road. The, the, uh, the cooler went flying off of the tailgate, and I almost went into the ditch. And I hadn't gone but 30 feet. I mean, it was like, I hadn't gone any place at all. And, there, you know, there, there are some people who, uh, who seem to rush off that way 
um, filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it's, it, it's actually, okay, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, is not our butler, and uh, he doesn't move according to our dictates and that sort of thing, and, uh, and we can't control him. And, it, and sometimes it might get a little messy, but let's just hit the brakes when it does and not drive off in the ditch. And if we do, don't ask everybody else to join us in the ditch as if the Holy Spirit wants you in the ditch. Okay, enough of that. But here's what we, here's what we can say. Having said that and having made those qualifications, that Christ is the head and the church is the body and that we represent the presence of the risen Lord Jesus to the world wherever we go. The same Jesus who made the lame to walk and the blind to see. The same Jesus who fed a multitude out of one boy's lunchbox, who commanded demons, who calmed the storm, who conquered the grave. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he sat down at the right hand of majesty. He reigns now over all things visible and invisible. And he sends his church marching into the domain of darkness in the authority of his name and clothes them with power to exercise that authority. And that ought to be our expectation. God dispenses power to the church. Number two, God has a plan for the church. In his sermon last week, uh, Lance reminded us that God is already at work in the lives of people, right? I found that exceedingly helpful, by the way. Did you? Just very practical. God's at work in the lives of people. Let's get curious to find out how. Um, God is already at work. And on a certain level, that's the case here in this passage. Verse 1 tells us that the day of Pentecost had arrived. And then verse 5 says, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So following the Assyrian and Babylonian exiles and then a series of uh, succession of conquering empires, Jews had been scattered throughout the known world. If you were to look, if you were to take these um, places that were named in Acts chapter 2 there and place them on a map, it's all over the place. It's over in the Persian Gulf and the... Um, region of the you know, Tigris and Euphrates, modern-day uh, Iran and sort of the surrounding region. Um, it's Palestine, down in Egypt, up, uh, up and around Turkey, over to Rome. It's a whole known world. And, and Jews were spread around um, through these exiles and um, having been conquered and so forth. They live in every nation under heaven. And so the statement that they were dwelling in Jerusalem might mean several things, or a few things. It could mean they've, some have relocated to Jerusalem long-term for some reason. Some from far off may have come for an extended stay to celebrate the feasts. Passover and uh, Pentecost are, are close together. Uh, some who came from closer by may have just come to celebrate Pentecost. But Pentecost was one of the national feasts for the Jewish people, referred to in Exodus as the Feast of Harvest uh, or the day of first fruits, but it occurred 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover. That's where the name Pentecost means. It actually means uh, 50th. Um, and every Jewish male was supposed to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast 
of Passover and Pentecost. So when Jesus told them not to depart from Jerusalem, this is the reason. See, he knows 10 days later, all these people are going to be gathered for Pentecost. That's when he's going to pour out his spirit. And we might say, by the way, that, that maybe the, the, the better universal takeaway from this, uh, that command of Jesus in, in Acts chapter 1 is not wait, but to obey. He told them to wait. The reason he wanted them to wait was not just for the sake of waiting, but because he had a plan that was already unfolding. You tracking with me there? And on Pentecost, he pours out his spirit, and, and all of these people are here. He could have done it any other time. But he did it on that day. And here's one of the implications. That after Peter preaches that sermon, and 3,000 people are converted, some of those 3,000 are going back home. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Cretans and Arabians, they're going home and they're taking the gospel with them. See, God has a plan that's already unfolding and he includes the church in it. In every generation of the church, he includes in a plan that's already unfolding. And if we'll obey him, we'll get to find out how. And I can think of at least two ways. We can employ a similar strategy even uh, to what we saw here in, um, at Pentecost in the sense that there are people gathered there, hear the gospel, and then go back home. Uh, as a port city and as a university city, we have internationals in the community of Wilmington all the time, every single day. And there are ministries that are set up to engage them for this very reason. Bring them to Jesus, send them back home to the other side of the world. Uh, there are two even connected right here to our church um, Interacting with people coming in and out of the port is International Seamen's Center. Richie Womack is uh, executive director, or I don't know what your title is, but chaplain. Uh, that's close enough. Um, <laughs> but they engage with people coming in and out of the port. They know they're going back home on a ship somewhere. And uh, even right now in our, in our own midst, we're developing... Um, a ministry to reach out to international students at UNCW. There are different uh, ways that they make efforts there to get people connected with those students, and, and we're making some efforts to do that even right now. And there are two ways you could get involved in taking the gospel to the other, uttermost parts of the world without even leaving town because they're here and they're going back to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. So God includes the church in an already unfolding plan and gives them the power to achieve that plan. We ought to have the expectation that both are true. And by the way, I, I believe if we'll get busy and going, if we get moving, 
if we get moving beyond, uh, we'll find out, number one, how God's working. And I believe he'll give us fresh supply of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in order to do that out there. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for um, your abiding faithfulness, Lord, that, that you have made us part of your body and you've made us part of your story. Lord, we pray for our church. We believe you still not only have plans for the church, an unfolding plan, but you have plans for our church. So would you give us eyes to see that and hearts that are ready to receive it? Would you fill us with fresh, uh, in fresh measure with your spirit, Lord? Empower us in all the ways that we need to be bold, to be gracious, uh, to be winsome, attractive in all of the things that you want the people of Jesus to be to a world that desperately needs to know him. We ask it in his name. Amen. And as we come to the Lord's table today, um, we're reminded that this is part of what we want the world to join us in. I said earlier on uh, a quote from John Piper that missions exists because worship does not. The goal is that the whole earth would be filled with the worship of God. And, and while there are still places in the earth that do not worship him, missions will still happen. Evangelism will still happen because we want the whole earth to be filled with worship of him. We want them with us at this table. Where we commune with him, where we are joined with him in a very real way. And our table, the Lord's table here, is open to all who are true believers, uh, followers of the Lord Jesus. And so as we say sometimes, if you, are, if you are welcome in heaven, you're welcome at our communion table. We will ask as we distribute them um, that you'll hold the elements so that we can partake of them together. But we read that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray as we set these elements apart. And I'll invite the, um, our uh, elders to, you can come on forward as we pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for the gift 
of your body broken for us, your blood that's poured out for us. The sacrifice that you paid that we could not. We thank you, Lord, for that. For joining us together with Jesus so that, Father, when you look on him, his his righteousness is credited to us because we are in him. We thank you for that, Lord, and we, we just consecrate these elements today. We set them apart from their ordinary use for this purpose, that we might in some real way partake of the body and the blood of Christ. Would you bless them? For that purpose, in Jesus' name, amen.